Hello, everyone. Welcome to a brand new episode of One Vision. Today, we have a guest all the way from the other side of the Atlantic, Bridget Greenwood. She's the founder at The Bigger Pie. So thanks for joining us today, Bridget. My pleasure. Tell us a little bit about what you're doing, your background, and what you're passionate about. Thank you for asking. I always wonder how I should answer this because there's so many different angles it can come from. But if I stick to kind of more the professional side, um, after I graduated, I worked for a company that was recently taken over by a, a new board of directors. And it was an exciting time for me because I got to see every part of the business um, from manufacturing to purchasing to sales um, to the tech side to putting tenders together. So that was a really good grounding for me in terms of businesses. Um, then I moved away from there uh, and I moved to Norfolk where I currently live and I had to reinvent myself. So I had a look around what was available and there wasn't much in terms of being employed. So I said to, the recruiter said to me, would you fancy saying finance? And I said, I have no idea. What does that mean? Um, anyway, it led me to become a financial advisor, which I adored doing. Um, within the first year, they they made us redundant. They made the whole sales force redundant because regulation within the UK had become so expensive that most tide agents would prefer to work in other regions outside of the UK. So then I had to sort of rethink what I was going to do and I became um, an independent financial advisor and I stopped being employed and I've never been employed since. Uh, I've always been self-employed or been a director of a company that I've um, created. Then I had my son and I had to rejiggle what I was doing. Um, and I, because as I said, I live in the sticks, I had to figure out how I could be present for the son that I, that I now had without having to travel too far. Um, and so I started looking at being able to invite business to me by using the internet. And that led to me then helping financial companies with their social media. So this is now sort of 2010 time. Uh, and it's amazing just in 10 years how quickly we've moved on with social media. Seeing financial companies saying, well, our clients aren't on this, nobody needs it, it's not good for compliance, it's not good for uh, reputational risks or regulatory risks. Um, and we, that's all very quickly changed. Um, but I was working on my own and I live on my own, so I wanted to work with a team. And then in 2017, I was invited to become a co-founder with what's now BCB Group, and that is helping institutional money to go from fiat to crypto and crypto to fiat. Uh, and that introduced me to the blockchain world. And from there, I saw some incredible women in the space. Amazing. The, the, the degrees that they have, the languages they speak, their career history is impeccable. And they want to put a hand out to help the next generation come up. And ultimately, I wanted to spend more time with these women. Um, so in September, I founded The Bigger Pie, which is working with people who believe in diversity and inclusion within blockchain. Because I'm very excited about the promise of blockchain, but we're not really there in terms of delivery, which is great. Because it means that we can actually have an impact in helping these companies to start with diversity and inclusion right from the start, rather than having to repeal a culture that's already embedded. So, so Bridget, let's let's talk about that a little bit more. When I was at Santander, Marina Ventures team invested in companies like Ripple and Digital Asset Holding and Elliptic in the space. And we continued to dive into trade finance with Skew Chain and other companies. 
What are you trying to achieve with Bigger Pie? Of all the companies I just mentioned, only one of them had you know, a female founder with Blythe Masters and Digital Asset Holding. And I think only a couple others that I came across had founders that were women. Um, what are you trying to do in terms of moving that forward in a different way? Um, so th there's a number of things that need to be done. So we have currently less than 10% representation based on the last surveys uh, that were out there. I don't know if it's a bit more in enterprise, but less than 10% women representation in blockchain, um, in investing in, and, and being founders. So there's a number of things that we need to do. One is key, which is raise the visibility. Can't be what you can't see. So we need to be able to um, see this, these leaders that we have, and we need to be able to help them be successful so that it can attract more women into the space. Um, so there's a variety of ways that we can do that. One is getting people onto podcasts. Another key one, though, is making sure that when we're at events and people are looking for speakers and panelists, that the experts in the room are representative uh, of, of the audience, you know, so it's not just a manual that we have going on. So I'm working with a number of event organisers and I'm always asking them, you know, want to work with more globally to reach out to me so I can remove that problem we can't find the women. There are, are many experts across the globe um, that we can get access to. So that's one of the things. Um, in terms of founders, we have a short supply of female founders globally. Um, so we need to be able to grow more female founders, but we also need to be able to support the ones that we currently have. And the statistics about how much the percentage of funding that female founders get is, is pitiful. Um, so that needs to change as well. So those are two things at least that we need to be able to do. And the third thing is we need to be able to make it more flexible for, uh, for everyone in the workplace, but particularly for women in the workplace. Because if you look at all the research, women do longer hours of work. And a lot of that work is unpaid work because it's care work, either for their immediate family or for extended family. Um, and so we need to have that flexibility so that um, women can do the work that they, they want to do when they need to do it. absolutely resonates and that's something that we talk about quite often amongst ourselves too because um both brett and myself we both have families with with little kids and um i think being in that situation gives you more appreciation of how hard it is to to balance work and and family life um i mean you know no matter how hard we try we only have 24 hours a day right and so it's, it's a fine balance as to what you can do outside of the home versus how much time you put at home with the children and, and flexibility is key. Um, I, for one, I don't like the notion of, well, women just need to lean in. Well, it's not about women leaning in. It's about the fact that, you know, is the environment supportive of us to be able to do what we like to do where we can and when we can, right? So that, that resonates a lot. I always use the word parent as well, because mother has bias attached to it. Uh, father has a bias attached to it. Um, and whilst we are going through this period of COVID-19, um, and there are clearly a number of tragic and traumatic events happening, and the lockdown and the financial situation that people will find themselves in for many years to come is heartbreaking. Having a whole bunch of people locked in trying to work from home 
with, with, with family, I think always, um, hopefully we'll be able to come out the other side with a much better appreciation of flexibility for work and the demands of um, having a, a, particularly a young family whilst you're also trying to juggle work from both sets of parents. That, that resonates quite a bit as well. Um, in terms of, you know, the experience, I think we're, we're here in San Francisco, day 27 in lockdown, um, trying to, to shift to uh, doing distance learning. We just received our first package of uh, very detailed instructions. And I think it took six or seven hours yesterday for the two boys that we have to uh, get through their content. And I'm just like, we're, we're, we're trying to be teachers all of a sudden and do our work and, you know, sort of uh, manage our families this way. And it's, uh, it's quite an experiment, but I, I do have your optimism that we're going to end up on the other side uh, on a better note. Um, sort of along those lines, in, in, along the lines of sort of educating, you, your team recently published um, a, a piece that said, when does the STEM gender gap start? Where you go deeper into research out of the US, and I'm sure that other geographies are in similar note, that you find that fewer women are moving into STEM and it really comes back to how they start their education. Can you talk a little bit about that gap? Um, certainly, the research that I have done, which is researching other people's research, um, has shown that effectively there's a book called The Gendered Brain, and effectively it's saying, is there any scientific evidence to show that uh, the difference in brain because of difference in gender and although there's been lots of studies that claim that's the case uh, when you look into those researches they they've kind of been disproven and ultimately we're at a stage where there really isn't a difference between uh, a, a brain based on gender um, however what is the case is we do have stereotypes of how we believe that different genders should behave um, and that starts to kick in after three. Well, it's even sooner than three, but after three. So it, it, between three and five, you'll probably, do you have, do you have girls, either of you, in your, in your family, daughters? Yeah, I have one boy, one girl. Okay, Two so, boys in the same, yeah. Um, so girls under five will just be loud and brash and, 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 and take charge of the world. After five, they start to conform into this idea that, you know, Girls need to be a bit better behaved and they need to take up smaller space. Um, and then if you put that on different intersectionality, when, you, when you're talking about women of colour, it's, it, it's, it's even worse. So we, and then um, the, the study shows that these children will self-govern um, self how, they, how they see their other peers behaving. So they recognise how they should behave. They don't know why, but that's the social cue that they've picked up on. And then tell their other peers or other girls that they need to be able to behave in this way too. So um, that that's part of it. And then that goes through all the way through life. So now we've got um, in the US, it was saying that, that there are many female teachers who aren't comfortable with STEM. And they pass on that nervousness when it comes to girls in STEM, which is ridiculous because there's absolutely nothing scientifically to back it up apart from perceptions. It was really interesting, I was having a chat with uh, a fabulous woman in, in our community, the Bigger Pie, and she's from 
And from a time where they had communism and everyone went out to work, everyone went out to work. So the state gave childcare and there was no, you know, you just went to work. So there was no perceived difference between whether you were a physicist or whether you were a teacher or the, or the role that you did. Um, and women and men went to work. And she said that this idea of STEM not being for women is not something that she recognises in her culture. It's very much a condition, conditioned uh, situation we find ourselves in. We would like to give a mention to our creative partner, Tremendousness. Tremendousness is a creative agency that uses visual thinking, information design, and storytelling to help organizations explore innovations, products, and processes. Learn more at www.tremendo.us. Yeah, I, I, I absolutely agree with, with the condition part. Um, so my daughter is seven, my son is 10. And one of the rules we have in the house is that we want to do sure that whatever we do, we give them the idea that either one of them can be anything that they want. Mm -hmm. um, it doesn't matter, you know, if you're a boy or girl. Um, so we don't, I, 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 I love Legos, but I absolutely hate pink Legos. Um, I don't like the notion that, you know, if you're going to be getting a present, you're going to differentiate present by color, right? It, it's, 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 again, one of those unconscious bias that leads to perception of how things are supposed to be. Um, and, and, and I think, you know, it starts from the home. It starts from when they're really young. It starts in school and every single environment that we put our children in, we need to make sure that they understand that it's, it's, um, it's, it's a lot of work, but you know, I, I'm hopeful that it can be done. Um, so going back to one of the questions that um, you mentioned earlier about uh, funding, right? the fact that we need to get more funding in the, in the hands of women, almost feels like we've been talking about it every single year for the last few years. We keep saying we need more funding, we need more funding. Um, it's not a lack of female founders to get funded, I would say. Um, it's not a lack of money going around. There's plenty of money. Well, there has been until until the uh, the current crisis. Um, how can we change that narrative? What what can be done? Can we? Is that even possible that we can level the playing field? It's definitely possible. <clears throat> Whilst I'm still breathing, I shall do everything that I can do <laughs> to make sure that it's definitely possible. Um, I think there's a few things that we need to recognize. One is there's some stats that came out. I should have had them to hand actually, but there's some stats that came out that said that something like, I don't know, 80% of um, people who are investors who are in venture capital went through, went through the same four schools. Um, so, you know, so before they went to university and which university they went to, it was just four schools. That is definitely a very narrow field of thinking that you've got there, a very narrow field of experience. So that when you have founders who present something to you that outside of your scope of experience, this is why a lot of the times these, these female founders are not getting funded. Um, so there's two things that we need to do. We need to broaden the experience of the people who 
are have the money and and who are investors at whatever level uh, angel venture capital um all the way through so that they can better recognize diverse thought uh, the value that it brings and when somebody comes to them with an idea of a solution that's in the world that they have more chance of someone on that team saying yes i've experienced that yes i can recognize that as being something that that we do, we do need to change in the world. And with regards to Femtech, Femtech is now making a, it seems to be making quite quite a, um, there's a huge opportunity basically in Femtech. So up until now, half of the population, which is women, have been ignored when it comes to their medical needs. And Femtech now is emerging. And I was at a panel in London, um, I was watching a panel discussion in London of investors. And half of the investors were men and half of the investors were women. And the men were saying, this, is, this has been a completely un, um, ignored field. So the opportunities here are massive. Why would we not want to get involved? But we do also recognize that we've got biases. And we've read the research that shows that when investors are, uh, are being pitched by female founders, they ask defensive questions. And then the female founders naturally answer the defensive questions. So that leads to that kind of conversation. Whereas when male founders go in, it's much more positive. It's like, oh, well, what will you do when this growth is achieved? And how will you manage when, you know, in this such situation, which are all positive situations, whereas women had to sort of defend, well, how will you reach that target? And then they took that research. They said, okay, well, what happens if you ask defensive questions to male founders? And if you ask defensive questions to a male or a female founder, invariably you're going to reduce the amount of times that you're going to invest in a company. So one is to, for the investors to understand where their biases are and to make sure that they put into place asking questions in the right way, so in a more positive way, no matter who's in the room. Um, and the other one is, is to be able to allow founders to understand if you are getting asked defensive questions, how do you answer that and turn it around into a more positive dialogue? Um, because that will indeed increase your chances. And we just, you know, we just have to have more diverse um, founders Sorry, investors around. And when you think about, you know, the way that you do due diligence on these companies, um, I, I think you're you're right, not just in the the early questions, but as we dig deep into business models, you know, are we speaking to people the same way? Are we actually being able to relate to them? And I think that has a lot to do with who you surround yourself with and the network that you have. And so in sort of poking around your site and a little bit of what you guys publish, it just shows that, you know, supporting a network and um, sort of driving change from within. I mean, I get, I get to say from, you know, my personal experience working with Theo the last couple of years and being exposed to so many amazing women in the space, that, that makes such a difference in the way that you see the world. And um, I just, you know, continue to, to, to say that you're, you're doing a very good job in, in what you're doing for the future. I think that's really important. Um, I wanted to switch gears and, and kind of go back to something we talked about earlier and ask about, you know, our current situation and how you think we're going to come out of it. Um, what are we learning right now in lockdown? Um, what are we learning about the way that the world will merge after the pandemic is over? Um, this is a great question and one that I've been pondering because I think it's really important that we can do everything we can do to help shape a more positive future 
um, as we when, when we when when we do get out of lockdown, as we mentioned before, there is going to be a tragic loss of life. But the 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 riff on effects of lockdown and the financial um, the financial difficulties that people are going to get into, and who's going to be responsible for paying that debt? How are they going to be? How are they going to repay debt? So, in the UK, I believe it's ninety percent of single parents are mothers. And I would imagine that a lot of those jobs that they do, they could be on something that we have in the UK called zero contract hours. So they're not employed, they're not self-employed. They don't fall into any category that the government has turned around and said, if you're this, then we can give you some government support. Um, they are working these jobs because they have to be flexible because as we discussed before, there's a lot of other jobs that don't allow you to have that flexibility to be able to continue in the job that you're in before you started your family. So I just wonder what is going to happen to those families because you know if they haven't, if you're doing a job where you're in service, where you have to be in the room to be able to do your job, whether it's in the shop or whether it's in, in beauty or whatever it is, you know, you those are quite um, stereotypical jobs. I apologise, but you know you you can't work from home on those, and it's not like oh I can't do that job. Let me see what other job I can get during this time. There aren't any other jobs available to you. You're screwed. You're not allowed to go to work. And you're not going to be supported. So I'm very concerned about what we do about that. And I think as a society, we need to have a look at this idea that we went into, and I think many people are talking about changing this idea of profit above all else, profit above your people, profit above profit above the planet. This isn't working. It's not sustainable. You know, Earth is getting very angry with us, and we need to pay attention. Um, and also, where is the value? Why, what, how are we valuing people? said to me the other day so like you know how much do footballers get paid and how much are they helping us right now whereas nurses and i think nurses globally are underpaid for the work that they do so it would be really great if we could look at the economic model that we have and figure out how we can do better and what does that look like um i think it's really important that we can capture people whilst they're in lockdown to start planting those seeds of change in their mind. Because so I think we'll be surprised how quickly we go back to the old normal if we're not careful. And I think that would be a crying shame. Um, and definitely want the workplace to be able to turn around and say, flexibility, working from home, presenteeism isn't really what's key. It's, it's what you can produce. And we have a much greater understanding around the need for flexibility, particularly when you have a young family as well as your work commitments. That's very well said. We can't go back to the old normal. Um, that's very, very true. So looking forward, what are your plans uh, in the future for Bigger Pie? What are some of the things that you're working on um, to continue to push for change? Like, for example, the partnership with Syndicate Earth? Yes, thank you very much for asking about that. So I'm really excited. So I was invited to um, be part of a Smart Cities event in London held by Dr. Bijak Kadadi as part of the London South Bank University. And he wanted to make sure that it was a diverse um, event that represents London. Um, and so we were, we were connected and I have a community of fantastic women who we, we had panels in. So we had a thought leadership part of the event and it was very interactive. Uh, all sorts of, of people were there. 
And we worked really well together. And I said, look, I, there's so much that I want to be able to do for a community of the bigger pie, uh, for diversity and inclusion. Um, not just being able to, so at the moment, I, I connect founders with investors who recognize and value diverse um, founders and have their checkbooks open. Um, I want to do more than that. I want to be able to put them through a program, have an incubator. Um, I want to be able to you know, do this throughout the globe. What do you think? And he said, well, I happen to be working on something similar as well. So we decided that it would be great to collaborate. And there are a number of us involved in this in, in Syndicate Earth. And the idea is to say, what does this new economic DNA look like? What can we do? Um, how can we change the structures that clearly aren't working for us? How can we have much more of a... At the moment, we seem to have too much power, money and control in too few hands. So how can we change that? Um, how can we be more sustainable? How can we care more about mental well-being and mental health so we can all live full lives rather than conflicting lives? And uh, so we were going to launch an event in London, but of course, we all have to change that and have to go online. So the positives of going online has been not restricted by our locality. So at the end of May, we're um, putting on a conference which has three things to it. So one is the conference where we're bringing in uh, thought leaders from around the globe, looking at various four different streams that we've got. Um, so that covers health, that covers governments and the economy, that covers, um, I'm not going to remember the other two off the top of my head now, That's <laughs> I should have these notes in front of me, shouldn't I? But we've got, basically we've got four streams and then we're looking at them from the financial sector, from an educational sector, from an emergent sector and from the community sector. And we're going to look at it from the community sector first, from really how, how, how we want our environment to look. Um, and then inviting, so we'll, we'll take the lessons and, and the learnings from the, the keynote speakers. It's going to be very interactive. Um, and then we'll be able to take those into a hackathon and say, okay, what are the ide ideas that we've looked at? What are the key takeaways that we need to be able to consider? And what are the problems that we look to be able to find these solutions for? And invariably, there will be a lot of discovery that people want to be able to get from that and take those learning further. So we'll be offering training from that as well. Um, and from that, we're looking to have a cohort of effectively startups where these ideas have come from that can help us to build this new world uh, and, be, and be able to start with the first cohort. Wow, that, um, that sounds exciting. I can't wait to see how that comes about. So thank you so much for joining us today, um, all the way from, from the UK and uh, best of luck with, with the venture and the rest of the year. And hopefully we'll get to meet uh, sometime in person. Yes. Thank you yeah. so much. And thank you so much for joining us for a new episode of One Vision.